Welcome to Season 5 of The Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders from Wall Street, Washington, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. We have a terrific Farcast lined up for you this morning. We're going to start with our great friend, Kenny Polcari. He's going to explain markets, what's going on with inflation, maybe the new Fed chairman. We'll see what Kenny thinks and how will that affect stock prices. Then to Washington, of course, with the great Dan Mahaffey, our senior political analyst at the Farcast, to explain whether this vote's going to happen. Will we reach the debt limit? Will we need continuing resolutions? Are they playing any nicer in Washington? And why is the vice president's staff at war with the president's staff? Why do we have this big squabble? We're going to ask Dan. Then Jack Perugian, of course, coming into year end. Jack has been as prescient as anyone on all five seasons of the forecast, and we purposefully have him at the end of the year. Wait till you see what he says about the rest of this year and 2022 for your investments. First, we go to Kenny Polcari. He is the CEO of Case Capital Advisors and the voice of the New York Stock Exchange. Welcome back, Kenny. Thanks, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be here. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to you, Kenny. I don't know if the New York Stock Exchange uh, still knows that you are the voice, but but everybody else does. I mean, you were for so many, many years. Uh, you hear Kenny and you think the New York Stock Exchange, is, that there's really not that much at the New York Stock Exchange anymore. It all kind of closed down when you left, really. I, I don't, that's the other thing I want to point out. So, uh, Kenny, uh, markets had a bit of a tough day yesterday, but as they are wont to do, prayer, uh, futures have reversed this morning. We've got oil below $80 a barrel. Uh, here on November the 18th, what do you make of what we're seeing in markets right now? They, they seem wishy-washy. They do. I think I think investors feel tired and a little bit confused, right? Because from one day to the next, it's either inflation is roaring ahead and everybody better watch out and interest rates are rising or going to rise and maybe faster than everyone thinks. And then and then the next day, oh, no, 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 nothing's happening. Everything's good. Tapering is on schedule. Interest rates aren't going to rise. And so there's this back and forth and back and forth, which is causing um, you know some confusion in the markets. Now, what you're not seeing is you're not seeing the market back way, way off. Uh, off the highs that we're at. So it gives you still a sense that investors appear to be okay, but they're a little bit anxious because you can feel it. Every time there's a negative story, then you feel the anxiety. And then the next day, it kind of just fades away. So um, I'm still bullish on uh, on the economy. I still think that um, next year, while we're going to have some turbulence in the first six months of the year, I do think that we'll, you know, we will, we will rebound and end the year a little bit, you know, and this year kind of right in here, but then next year, uh, probably closer to 5,000 on the S&P. Is it fair to call this sort of an erosion of complacency? I mean, investor complacency, what we've seen is bull markets for a while. Is this the emergence, I guess, of worry on the part of investors? That's number one. And number two, is the worry justified or are the fundamentals strong enough that really you think the market's going to hold together? I got to tell you, I think the worry is justified because I'm in the camp of being a little bit more worried, right? I think the first, the, next, the first six months of next year are going to be turbulent and there's going to be a lot of potholes. So yes, in that sense, I'm worried about where we are. And there's a number of reasons for that because ultimately, what is inflation going to be? The administration came out on Friday, Jen Psaki came out and said that the administration expects inflation to come under control in 2023. 
That's 16 months away. So the question is, okay, Jen, then what happens between now and the end of 2022? How much, how higher is inflation going to be before we start to see it pull back? And so, yes, I do think that there's some realistic concerns about where we're going to be, how we're going to handle this is, you know, clearly the transitory idea is way off the table, no matter whether they continue to say it or not, because another 12 months of inflation is not transitory, considering we've already had 10 months of it. So we've had 20, we'll have 22 months of inflation. Unless that's the new definition of transitory, I'm confused. And so I think there is some concern about that. There's concern over uh, certainly infrastructure policy, although that's not going to price stocks in the long term. The uncertainty about what's happening right now in D.C. is causing kind of some anxiety for investors. I think that will smooth itself out once we kind of get through uh, whatever the negotiation is going to be. I don't think they're going to get past what they want to get past at the moment. I do think Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to are going to hold the line. And so therefore, that's going to cause some un, you know, unrest for the Democrats and for certainly Nancy Pelosi as we go into uh, the the uh, the uh, midterm elections. But Dan Mahaffey can talk more about that. I'm just saying I do think that investors are uh, they're right to be a little bit uh, cautious and anxious over just what's coming down the line. So inflation being transitory now means 2023, probably through 2023. Right. And, uh, OK. I mean, I guess that's a, they, it, smart. They never define transitory because transitory now is going to take a few years. Right. <clears throat> That, that we could add a lot of things to the to the to the list of things that will last several years. That means that President Biden's uh, presidency is transitory. I mean, yeah. hell, it's only going to last another three <laughs> years. Why aren't they all transitory? Well, and, I guess everything but, is. But if you look at the deal that uh, Deere just cut with employees, right, yeah. 10,000 workers, the good news is they're going back to work. They got a 10% wage increase this year. They get a 5% bump in 2023 and 5% in 2025. We've built in those cost increases for right. deer for the right. next three years. And then they've got extra, I mean, there's more on top of that. So right. when you see companies start to do that, wage inflation is not transitory. Correct. Right. So the it's rate permanent. of growth, the right. rate of increase in inflation might be transitory, but that inflation is here to stay. And the, that when you see rents start to go up, the, the Dallas Fed wrote about this. I yep. wrote about it last week, too. When yep. you see housing prices go up as much as these have, rents start to go up, and it's a two-year lag, and they started to go up, and rents don't come back down. So these are real costs for real consumers, and it's going to invade purchasing power. And the problem here, of course, is that the costs of stuff out there, food and energy that we're not supposed to consider, and I've never understood why, but housing, right. I guess right. we can consider housing. All of those costs are going up. Wages are going up, but wages aren't going up as fast as the cost okay. for housing. So the average Joe is not going to be able to afford a better lifestyle. It's just all going to be a paper game, right? Is and behind he still falls the eight is behind, behind the eight ball. That's right. He's behind the eight ball. And so all those things you say are absolutely true, which is why it's confusing me, because I also don't understand necessarily why they take out food and energy, because that's the things that we use every single day. Those are the things that are actually most impactful to consumers, not only in this country, but consumers around the world. And so it's going to be it's going to be it, it is it is right that people are concerned. It is right that, you know, we're, they want to get a definition of where they think inflation is going to be. Look, I think the three the uh, the one-year inflation rate is expected to be four. I think the last reading I saw last month was what four point eight percent, and it's supposed yeah. to come down over five years. I don't even know how you can really 
make a guess on what inflation is going to be in five years. I think there's way too many things going on. So I think that's a moot point. I don't even pay attention to that number. But I do pay attention to where, how I have to live every day and what I have to spend the same way you do, the same way that most consumers do. And I think that's ultimately going to take a toll on uh, stocks as we move into, into the first year. Because what I think is going to happen, that Jay Powell is trying to hold the narrative right now that everything's good. But when January comes and it's a new year and we get to start all over, suddenly he's going to stand up and say, you know what, this is a little bit more than we thought. And we're going to have to start to increase the tapering and then increase potentially rates ahead of what the market expects. And that is what's going to hit the market in the new year. So will this be a policy error and will a policy error on the part of the Federal Reserve ultimately bring this down? Because you and I both know bull markets don't don't die of old age. Yeah, no, I, I think it is a policy error. And I've been saying that to you for a while, right? I think the Fed is already behind the eight ball. Uh, and I think it is a policy error. They should have started tapering months ago, but they didn't. Um, and now they started, yes. But what they're going to realize in January is that mm, we better do it a little bit faster. And I think that's the risk to the market. So yes, I do think it's a policy error. Now, is it? does that mean everyone should bail and sell everything they own? No, I'm not saying that at all. But you have to be aware of what that's going to mean. So don't go chasing the high-tech sexy names. I wouldn't do that. Certainly, I'm not doing that. I'm being much more defensive. Are they boring names? Are they big Americana kind of boring dividend payers? Yes. But then I expect those to protect me on the way down as well as maybe hedging some of the position. But I wouldn't necessarily be chasing the high-tech names the, uh, that are have high valuations because the minute they start really talking about raising rates, those valuations are going to have to change. It's a simple math problem. It's not complicated, but those numbers will have to come down. And so those stocks will come down. Paul Krugman says that we're not behind the eight ball. Paul Krugman says that the policy error in the 1940s was that the Fed reacted too soon to inflation. And he thinks that the patience that they're showing right now is absolutely appropriate and they should continue to be a brave, uh, uh, patient and let this rat pass through the snake that he thinks what? that they could overreact right now. Okay. Now, I mean, so we've got voices on both sides. Mohammed El Arian thinks that they're way behind. Right. So I wasn't around in 1940, right? I wasn't even you a, a wink. I wasn't no, even a twinkle in my father's eye. I thought you were there. But, I was going to ask you about the 29 crash. But wait, but wait a minute. I was around during the 1980s, as you were as well. And don't tell me that inflation running at 13% and interest rates at 21% weren't real because they were very real. You and I both lived it. I was they were just real. Beginning, right? They were real. And so for anyone to say that it can't happen again, like I said in my note today, I'm fearful that history is going to repeat itself because I do think the Fed is behind the eight ball. And my fear is that we're going to see this spike, not only in inflation, but then a policy response that's going to start to raise rates more than a quarter of a percent, which is causing people to have a nervous breakdown now. Imagine if they ever say we're raising rates a half a percent or one full percentage point. Boom. That'll be it. That'll be it for what? Let's go there. Uh, uh, what happens well, to stock that, prices when they raise it a percent? Well, I, I, stock prices will pull. The initial reaction is that stock prices will pull way back because that'll be a shock, right? A quarter of 1%, everyone's kind of uh, everyone's kind of pricing that in. They can understand what that means. Stocks will back off, but not necessarily. Bullard says we've got two hikes next year for the second half of the year. Bullard says we got two hikes. A lot I of think them, we got three. I think we got three. I think we got June. I think we got September. And I think we the potential to have one in December of next year. So two for sure, that's what the market's pricing in, but I think there's going to be three. And the fear is, um, are they going to be quarter point raises? Are they going to be half point raises? Are they going to start with a quarter and then go to a half? And I think that's what's going to cause 
um, the market to swiftly how you, Wait a minute. How, how do you think we're going to have some sort of a hike in June when the current plan is for him to still be buying in June? The current plan is that the taper is going to continue through June. Because the current plan, if you look at it, the eight months started in November because we started this week, right? Uh, it's going to end in June. So it can end in June. Now, they say that one is not, that they're mutually exclusive. One's not dependent on the other. I'm not buying that narrative. I am not buying it. Listen, Bullard just said two days ago that the Fed needs to act uh, sooner to combat inflation. So that suggests to me that in January, they're going to come out with this narrative that says, uh, you know, maybe we're a little bit behind. We're going to increase the, the pace of tapering, which means it'll end before June. Maybe it ends in May. And allows them Does anybody to listen to Bullard? Does, do, do people well, really listen I, to Bullard? I mean, he's I the know, guy they actually don't listen to. Okay, well, do they listen to Krugman? Uh, no, no, <laughs> that's a good point. But, but I will say, I, Bullard. I know, the New York Times, New York Times publishes it. Okay, but listen, Bullard is now in January going to be on the FOMC committee. Currently, he is not. In the next yeah, he'll year, be a voting in twenty twenty two, he's going to be a voting member, and they put him out every time that they need, you know, a face to go out there. Um, they put, they always put Jimmy Bullard out, which is amazing to me, but they, he's always the first one to come out there and make a statement to kind of test the waters. So yeah, they kind of, they kind of send him out to the wolves first. They, they really, they, they really do. They uh, do. Kenny, we're, we're, I can't believe it. We're out of time because this is a very important discussion. Let's get back to stocks. You said you were looking at things that were big old boring companies that I presume are not all that overvalued then. Are there still reasonable things out there? I'm seeing earnings increased uh, right now. Uh, I know that margins will come down. S&P 500 margins will come down as wage prices go up, folks. Uh, right. uh, it, it's, it's the ability you know, to put pressure on those margins. They will hit a point of what they call price inelasticity, where consumers will just stop paying that higher price after management has agreed to pay the higher wages and then you're stuck with a smaller margin that average margin then gets a price to earnings multiple that that is harder uh, uh to, so, so things come down a little bit but listen once this dear story gets out there and it's out there now this morning because it, they just announced it this morning think of all the other companies that are going to have to now Look at what Deere did. They're going to see the uprising amongst the workers, and they're going to start to experience that themselves in their own in their own uh, in their own companies. And so that whole idea about wage inflation and rising wages uh, is going to come, and maybe it needs to come. Maybe they do need to get paid more. What money? But like you said, once it's once they do that, then it's baked in. Those wages are not coming down, and so therefore you're right. It starts to put pressure on margins, and at some point. There is that elasticity. I don't think we're there yet because everybody's raising prices and the consumer continues to go gangbusters. Consumer uh, for us a lot of cash. Which is a little bit confusing to me because I, I think part of it is, A, they have a lot of cash. And, and the other part of it is they're just tired of being, you know, tamped down and, and, and told to stay home. They need to go out and they need to spend. They need to travel, which is all good things. But at some point, they're going to realize, wow, this is this is kind of expensive to go out there. You're not selling this, though. You're telling you're not telling Fred and Ethel to sell here, Kenny. Give us some advice for Fred and Ethel, and we got to go. So what I would say to Fred and Ethel is, I would add to defensive positions like the big old American names. I would hedge against your uh, your tech positions if you have a fairly large tech portfolio. I would just hedge your portfolio to take advantage of that. But by no means am I suggesting that you're out. I'm in consumers. I like financials, and I like energy. Those would be names, and I like industrial names. So I like names like Caterpillar. I like names like John Deere. I like names like IBM and Honeywell. You like uh, healthcare? Think, uh, you know, healthcare, I'm a little bit on the edge about because I'm still unsure of where healthcare is going next year. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be selling my healthcare 
but I got to wait and see how what policy responses come out next year for healthcare. Got it. Kenny Polcari, President, CEO, Case Capital Advisors, uh, the always the voice of the New York Stock Exchange, our great friend on the Farcast. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, Kenny. This has been terrific. Thank you. Have a good day. Happy Coming up, folks. Happy Thanksgiving, Kenny. Uh, coming up, Dan Mahaffey. We're going to figure out if he can explain what is going on in Washington when we come back on the Farcast. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc., Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We're glad you could join us this week on the Farcast. Now back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining us now, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and our senior political analyst on the Farcast. Welcome back and good morning, Dan. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having me. We're glad you're here. November the 18th, we're coming into the final stretch here of 2021. It's only going to be six more weeks, and we're going to have to remember to write 2022 on our checks for those of us old enough still to write checks. It's very strange. Michael, they don't take checks where I live. They don't take checks. They take. No, they don't take checks where I live. I live in 2021. Ah, got it. I was just thinking perhaps Bitcoin or some sort of cyber currency. Uh, I'll tell you, no one has turned down my check yet. Uh, I'm looking. That's fair. Yes. I'm looking forward to that day too. Uh, okay, Dan, Washington seems to be uh, sort of trying to get some things done before year end. Yeah, and the most important item I'm hearing on the agenda is that everybody wants to leave for the Christmas break. That's the only thing I'm hearing that the Democrats and the Republicans both agree on. What are you hearing in Washington? What's top on your list this week? Yeah, well, the trains, planes and automobiles isn't just the infrastructure bill. It's them making their plans for the holidays to, to get yes. out of town. That's always a, a forcing factor. Uh, look, though, uh, Politico Playbook this morning, I think, did a very good job. They did a taxonomy of the headlines and said you basically can fit them into three categories. One, Democrats are in disarray. Two, at the same time, historic things go to Biden's desk. And three, the Republicans continue to have to respond to statements by their own members or President Trump doing an interview with the pillow guy. Uh, and all those things show you the, the three themes that we have in Washington. One, uh, the Democrats with, with knife-said majorities trying to get these packages through. It looks like the, the CBO favors the moderate uh, uh, or the moderates are favoring the CBO numbers. Those are looking good. Uh, for them, at least assuaging some of their concerns on, on revenue and the projections. Uh, but again, it, it still goes to the Senate, even if Pelosi can move it. Uh, you know, I think they're being very optimistic if they say they move it out of the House 
uh, by this week. Uh, but look, they're thinking they can get this uh, perhaps by Thanksgiving into the Senate. And then that means December, all eyes turn to the Senate because one, does the House move this? Uh, two, you have a deal now to attach, uh, to move forward with the defense authorization uh, while also setting up a House and Senate conference to work on the various pieces of China competition legislation. That's the other stuff, money for semiconductors, investments like that. Uh, they want to move that to a conference. They've got to get that done. Then, of course, you have the, the debt ceiling. They think that uh, they think that they might be able to push till, uh, you know, could that be January? I don't think so. They still want to try and get that done now. And, and basically, this all turns to, uh, what can Schumer do to to land these? Is he going to be uh, is he going to be Santa Claus or the Grinch coming into these holidays for the Democratic agenda? Because Schumer has to so manage. Which, so which will it be? What are we got? Do we have Santa? I mean, do we, 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 it sounds to me that they're setting themselves up for a certain amount of Grinch no matter what happens. Yeah, that there's going to be a certain look. People are going to have to to take their licks on this. For Bernie, look, Bernie's not been happy about uh, changing salt, but I think he's going to have to accept that as salt in the wound. Uh, Mansion uh, has wound. been like Mansion has been digging in on paid family leave, uh, but that's a priority for the House and a lot of the other senators. And heck, Mansion keeps talking about work requirements for family for paid leave, which confuses me. I don't think people take leave from unemployment, but. Again, so there's, there's, <laughs> I don't I wish know if more he, people would take leave from unemployment. We could, <laughs> we need more workers right now. We really do. Well, that's the, uh, you know, those are the broader, you know, those are the other things that are talked about with when it comes to workers, though, the nothing in there on immigration, nothing on there on, on education, those sort of structural things for long-term workers. Uh, you know, they don't seem to quite understand that. They don't understand trade and tariffs are also part of this uh, inflationary story. But look, they're they're trying to thread the needle with all these these items and get them done before the end of the year. Okay, so when do we actually get the Congressional Budget Office's scoring? When do we get their assessment of how much this thing will really cost and how much of it will be paid for? When does that come out? And what we've are the getting that? In, that we've been getting that in dribs and drabs. Yes. They've been scoring each title that goes because each bit has gone through various committees to create this one piece of legislation that they're working with. Those are coming through in bits and bobs, and you, you're not seeing anything that says, wow, these numbers are really way off, or nothing that's a, a red flag for the more fiscally minded. We haven't seen them say, oh, the CBOs, you know, CBOs not throwing any cold water on any of these things yet. What's more concerning, I think, for the House is what the Senate parliamentarian says can go in under reconciliation, and that's the next big uh, procedural wash for this legislation as a as a as a term what i see happening here dan is the house passing this and sending it to the senate and then they will get through some sort of parliamentarian approval sufficient to do a large portion if not all of this and then we come right back down to joe manchin and kirsten cinema and will they say yes or will they hold this up? That's kind of the only thing I'm thinking about as I'm watching this uh, show unfold. Right, and I think a lot of these senators are waiting, uh, cinema and mansion included. And again, uh, we focus on them, but uh, don't rule out Bernie, uh, Warren, uh, Sherrod Brown on the left, there's things in there that they could, again, it's threading that needle between those moderates and the priorities of the progressives. Uh, 
and that you that idea of what mansion and cinema want i think they've been very clear in telegraphing that so far and again the statements from them are nothing that says they are ready to block the legislation they're ready to move on consideration and even mansion has said he sees a vote on this happening before the end of the year so you think it happens and you think mansion goes along and how much of, do you think all of it gets done? I mean, give us, give a handicap. Does tell us what you really think is going to happen here? Would you? My gut is that you get something in here in the in the one point five to two trillion range. It does happen by the end of by the end of the year, uh, and it's done again with you know very much in the way of the the frameworks that we've already discussed. We're past the point of major rewrites in this legislation. That train has already gone down the tracks in that sense. Once we get this done. Uh, does the agenda for 2022 start to calm down at all? No, to, we, we immediately go to election mode. And that's where I think oh, you God. see the, the, the posturing of, uh, look, Republicans are feeling very heady right now because they, they can probably win the House back on redistricting alone because it's a reapportionment cycle. Uh, and that's the thing why you now see, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy, whether he starts to act as a presumptive speaker. Uh, but that's why the the restive, more uh, controversial members of his of his caucus, Paul Gosar, censured this week. The, the last member yes. was censured was Charlie Rangel uh, back in the 2010s. So Paul Gosar was sanctioned for censured for this uh, video of uh, AOC being killed and someone trying to attack Biden. He posted a, an anime video. He was censured for that. And it's it's trying to also, uh, you know, the Republicans, because they haven't been in government, they've been in the minority, uh, they have to figure out how to keep this, uh, you know, more controversial caucus in line, too. As we think about how any of this is going to affect markets, certainly what Kenny Polkari and I were just talking about inflation that doesn't seem to be going away. And if it's transitory, it's going to be transitory for at least the next year to two years. Uh, that doesn't strike us as transitory. That just strikes us as inflation is what we call that when it starts lasting for years. And it seems that it will. You're adding more spending. And when you add more spending to stuff that's already expensive and think concrete and steel and workers who have to be hired for the infrastructure bill and everything else, it looks like a lot of this government activity in Washington now is going to add to higher inflation. Uh, I don't see how that doesn't happen. Uh, and I think we have to be I think we have to take a look at that through an investor sort of an eye. The other thing that's going on is Jay Powell versus Lael Brainerd as the next Fed chairman. Will Powell keep the job or not um, is, is, is a big question. And, and in terms of policy, it doesn't seem to have a huge consequence, meaning that Lael Brainerd is kind of dovish, uh, would be a dovish Fed chairman. So is Powell. I don't see that Powell has really screwed this up, but it seems that he's a political scapegoat. What happens there, Dan? Are you hearing anything? Well, what I'm hearing is one with Powell, they think they have an easier pathway for him. They could probably get some Republican votes. You don't have to worry as about a close Senate nomination hearings. Uh, Powell is just frankly easier, for lack of a better term. Uh, Brainerd, though, there's the pressure of Look, how can we reshape the thinking in the Fed? How could we, you know, long term, uh, you know, given that Democrats are probably not going to have uh, an ability to appoint people much longer? Can we put our stamp on an institution like the Fed with someone like her in charge? Those are the two arguments I'm hearing. And then other things come into that. Look, you know, uh, 
for progressives, they'll say, well, you know, some of this thing, it's inflationary, but we're making needed investments on climate. We're making needed investments that we just haven't done for, for a while. And, and oh, by the way, if you, you know, we tolerated low inflation because we were also happy with near Great Depression levels of unemployment in certain segments of the, of the country. Those are the, the, the areas where they think that I hear people say, well, maybe Brainerd puts a, a more progressive stamp on the institution long term. But then again, when you have so much on your Senate uh, to-do list, do you really want another confirmation hearing to add to that? Does the debt ceiling get done? Do these key elements that affect markets get done before year end? The flack that McConnell took for the last deal from conservatives, I don't think he does a deal like that again. I still believe the best route out of this is to set up the structure they've done where the president can raise it. Uh, and then Congress can vote to disapprove. I think ultimately they need to figure out that structure. We know that Schumer and McConnell are have now just started talking about the debt ceiling. I've heard that. Uh, so keep an eye on those negotiations. So you're saying what, that it will get done somehow in here because th these are things that Wall Street has to care about. Yeah, the, the, the debt ceiling gets done because it's, it's one of those things we've done as long as I've been in Washington where we hoot and holler about it. We get at each other's throats. But finally, you know, the, the common sense prevails, at least to keep the country from defaulting. The uh, president will turn 79 on Saturday. Uh, happy birthday, Mr. President. And uh, folks, you can now look forward, if you listen to what Dan said earlier, soon, coming in 2022, fewer ads on your TV for Aspercream. And hey, you're going to have all of those fabulous political ads coming back, telling you why the other person is a complete idiot and moral degenerate. Well, I certainly can't wait to hear more of that. We just got through in Washington listening to all the Virginia gubernatorial ads about uh, why, why the other guy was a complete idiot and would ruin the state of Virginia. Well, now they could ruin the country. We can hear all of that. State of politics in the U.S., folks, it's just kind of crazy and really disappointing on so many levels that we're not a little bit better than this. Dan, any final words for us? And I'm just going to keep looking. Uh, the situation with Russia, it's gotten tenser. They fired off an anti-satellite test, really messed up uh, with debris in orbit. Yeah, uh, how would you like to be in the space station and being told to shelter in place? How would you like to be one of the Russian cosmonauts? Dan, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Michael. Best to you and your family. We have a lot for which uh, we all are thankful and will continue to be thankful. Yeah, make make America grateful Beyond. again. Yeah, don't you like that? I think we should be very, very grateful in this country, each and every one of us. We're going to come back, ladies and gentlemen, with Jack Perugian, a great voice uh, from the Chicago Exchange and a, a terrifically experienced voice on Wall Street. Jack's been right a whole lot more than Jack's been wrong on the forecast. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. We're happy you've joined us this week on the Farcast. Coming in December, we have a great slate of guests to review the year behind us and tell us what they see in the year ahead. Now, to this week's special guest, Jack Perugian, and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Terrific segments there with Kenny Polcari and Dan Mahaffey. We certainly covered uh, uh, the beginning parts of Wall Street, what Kenny sees happening in the short term, why he does not think inflation is transitory. 
Uh, he said, you know, anything that takes a couple of or three years is not transitory. Uh, Mahaffey saying that uh, we're probably going to get something done on this next infrastructure, BBB, Build Back Better, Bill coming up, Build Back Better Act, uh, that they're going to try and get passed. Looks like that may happen. And will Jay Powell keep his seat? It sounds like, according to Mahaffey, that's the path of least resistance. Uh, and I think that would offer a stabilizing sort of a feel for markets. And it, it's important how markets feel. I gave two speeches last week, uh, one to uh, a group called the Men's Cultural Alliance in Naples and also the Columbia University Alumni Association. Uh, fascinating groups. Uh, I asked a question at, at every one of those at the beginning of those talks. And I said, if you were to go and buy a refrigerator, do you think you will pay the same price now as you will in six months? Or do you think the price will be higher or lower in six months? And in both groups, I had about 100%. It was really amazing. Every hand went up. A refrigerator will cost me more in six months. It's a very important question for economists. And it's one that we're going to talk about, too, with our friend Jack Berucci. And Jack is chief economist, co-founder, director of Universal Compute Exchange uh, and the India Compute Exchange. He was CEO of the Index Futures. He was on the board of directors of the CME Group. Jack has been a dear friend for years. And as I've told you two or three times already this morning, Jack's predictions have been prescient. And as we approach Thanksgiving, Certainly one of the things for which we're very thankful for here on the forecast is our friend Jack Ferrucci. And welcome back, Jack. Oh, thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure being on with you. We're glad you're here. Jack, has the year unfolded as you thought it would? And is it? do you think it will through year end? You know, I, I, I call myself a, a reluctant, fully invested bull. Uh, and, and that's about as good a description as I can put together here in an environment where you really don't have an alternative. Uh, you know, I, and I, you know, there are there are very few times in history where you say that to yourself. Uh, but but this is one of those times, uh, you know, if you're sitting in cash, you're losing five percent a year, uh, you know, if not more. If you, or, and, and worst case, you're missing out on opportunity that's there uh, with with what is going on with central bank activity. So uh, and 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 more importantly, and this is something that we talked about a few years back. Uh, you know, there's been this this meta, this change that's taken place within the economy. We went, you know, into this technological frenzy that's really driven productivity, that's driven everything, and and basically all the technology that we're using today, that we started using, you know, during the right. pandemic, uh, is all really, you know, if you think about it, a, a sum of what was happening over the course of the last five years. It and it and it is new and. Uh, you know, we, we are so good at adapting, uh, we humans, that we probably haven't even remembered how much life has changed just in the past two years. But these Zoom calls that I, and I was on Zoom calls for four hours yesterday, Jack. And as much as, as, as that was awful, it kept me from three different airplanes I would have otherwise been on. And that kept me out of two hotels that I would have otherwise stayed in and spread that trip out over a couple of days. And that kept me from a certain amount of, would have kept me from a lot of productivity that I would not have had sitting on the airplanes or checking in and out of hotels and taking Ubers through different cities. So 
productivity in some ways might not be as measurable, but has increased for a number of us. Uh, and, and our cost structures have changed. And boy, you don't want to be an office leasing agent in any major city right now, do you? No, no, you're spot on. And and not only that, if you think and listen to who's talking about going back to the office, it's those that have exposure in that space, Uh, you know, whether it be the large banks, uh, you know, those are the ones that are, you know, that are begging people to come in, in many cases, mandating five days a week because they need that office space actually filled. But, you know, I I agree with you. In fact, I think, you know, I'm part of three startups. uh, And and quite frankly, we've seen more productivity, uh, you know, in the last, say, year and a half than ever before. And, and, and it's been cheaper. As you said, I don't have to travel. I don't have to do the things that I was reluctantly doing. You know, it's, it's not fun, as you well know, after doing it for no. 30 some years, it's not fun waking up in a hotel and not knowing what city you're in, all right? right? Because you've just been in four cities in the last five days and, you know, you've been in four different hotels and, and I've been there. And it's, you know, it's even worse when you're out in Europe and, and you have to look out at the signs to see what language they're in because you're really, you're lost. <laughs> uh, and, and that's happened to me, quite frankly. But, you know, and but all of that now, seems to have changed. And, and I think that what we're seeing is a renaissance. Uh, there's, there's something that's happening. And, and, and it's really, it's building, unfortunately, a cultural divide between those that are technologically, you know, sound and, and savvy, and those that might be either immigrants to technology, or have not been able to grasp technology properly. Immigrants to technology, what an interesting term. Who do you mean when you say immigrants to technology, just old people? You and I are immigrants to technology. Uh, let's face it. Uh, you know, my children, uh, you know, your children uh, are not immigrants. They were born with a computer in their hand. They knew how to do things with an Apple computer at, before they started kindergarten. Uh, yes. you know, and whereas, I mean, I remember being in my 30s and getting my first computer and trying to figure out, you know, what, what I was doing with this machine that was sitting on my desk. And, right. you know, so, uh, you know, it, the, the, the whole experience now, and not only that, but if you think about the immigrant experience on top of that, uh, you know, my parents who are immigrants who came to the country as refugees, they, it would be very difficult for them to have picked up technology uh, at this day and age. Um, yes. I, I know for a fact. In fact, you know, had, they, had I been a child in a remote learning environment, there's a very good chance I would not have learned anything because my parents didn't speak English. And it yeah, would have been no. very... So, so there's, there's this divide that's taking place. And a lot of it is due to technology. Um, but, but again, so it's a two-edged sword, if you think about it. Yeah, on the one hand, it's making life so much more productive for us. On the other hand, it's creating some real structural issues that we're going to have to deal with in the future. What kind of structural issues? And before we go on, I just, my, my dad, I told folks on the forecast, turned 96 years old a couple of weeks ago. He was in World War II. He's in, dad's in great health. Dad's doing just fine. He gets frustrated with his iPhone and his iPad. And it just occurred to me as you were talking, when dad gets frustrated with his iPhone, he starts tapping on it harder, like he's, you know, like you'd bang the side of the television set when you want it. People don't understand what a television set is either, Jack. But when, when the reception wouldn't come in or the lines would start to go squiggle or the vertical or horizontal hold, we had vertical and horizontal hold buttons on our TVs. That's right. I'm sorry, folks, but we had these and you used them to keep the picture, <laughs> tried to, to keep them still and a bit in focus. And if that didn't work, you'd slam the thing on the side of the box because typically there was a tube that would shake inside 
and and things would go normal again. Well, well I, I actually had to stand with the rabbit's ears over, you know, on the other side of the room while my dad was watching sports to make sure that he got the right reception, uh, you know. And uh, but uh, but no, uh, you know, just to put it into perspective, what you just said is so very important. And and I'll give you an example. Uh, I was on the board of directors of CME Group, and I became friendly with a, a gentleman named Merton Miller, who was a Nobel laureate from the University of Chicago. Uh, and and he he became very friendly. He fact, he insisted I I, I called him Mert. And, and, uh, and I, you know, one day he turned to me and he said, Jack, my boy, I don't understand this internet thing. And this was about 99. Yep. And he said, you know, and, and he said, basically, you know, I don't understand other than information. I don't know what it's really good for. Uh, but then again, he goes, what do I know? Because when they first invented the steam engine, it was invented to pump water out of coal mines. Right. And, you know, it was one of those things when he said it to me, it really made a lot of sense. But when we're going and we're talking about what issues are being created, remember what's happening with technology. Technology destroys jobs. Technology inherently makes things easier. It automates things. And when we start to couple machine learning and AI into the equation, well, now you're getting to the point where things that were, that were absolutely necessary to have a human intervention and a human being in front of can now have a machine in front of it. Now, I'm not talking about robots. You know, people are, are always say to me, oh, a robot can't do what, what, you know, what a man can do. Well, you know, they're probably right, but the reality is we're not talking about robots. We're talking about AI. We're talking about taking everything that we have learned as humans, putting it into a machine, having that machine actually create things that are so efficient for us that they don't have to be tested three or four times over. Uh, we're, we're talking about ways to be able to pay our, our staff without having seven, 10 people in payroll. Uh, you know, right. I can I can do things now where I don't have to hire three accountants. I can hire one. Uh, you know, there, the, life becomes a lot easier when when automation makes life easier. Now, who is losing th those jobs? Who who are those that are being displaced and disintermediated? Yes. And that those are the people that cannot transfer their skills. They are the ones, they cannot become coders. They cannot become designers of technology and software. Uh, these are people that were either, say, working in a McDonald's where now their, their job has been automated. So McDonald's is absolutely happy to pay them 15, 17, maybe $20 an hour. You know why? Because they're going to have half as many workers in another couple of years. And by the, by the time it's all over, they're probably going to have one or two people stationed there and every Everything else is going to be automated in a kiosk type of system, you know, and I use McDonald's as, a, as an example because I've just I stepped into a couple of them that were completely automated. And I thought, here's yeah. the future. Here's yeah. The future. You know, I even even at the uh, uh, drugstore, even at the, the CVS or the Walgreens five years ago or 10 years ago, whenever it was that they come up with those uh, self checkout things. Right. And I saw the first one of those self scan it yourself. And I thought, scan it myself. Why the hell do I want to scan it myself? And what am I paying you people for? I mean, how about a little customer service and smile at me and get me through the damn line? Now I look for those machines every time I go in. I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to go get my, you, you, you know, cold medicine. I want to go up. I want to click it. I click two buttons on my Apple Watch. I want to get the hell out of there. It's fabulous. But somebody's lost a job, haven't they, Jack? Excellent. That's absolutely right. And, you know, and again, that is creating what I would call structural unemployment, Michael. And nobody is really talking about Structural, this. structural unemployment. Okay. Yes. This is, <laughs> this is a direct result of policy that has been taking place. And you've got a Fed that right now has got a dual mandate. And that dual mandate is conflicting. And yes. it's and that is really why that Fed is right now in a bind. They are in a corner. 
They don't know how they're going to land the 747 on that aircraft carrier because it might be impossible. Uh, and that's really what they're trying to do. They're trying to pull off the impossible and they're, and, and they're trying to hide it because quite frankly, you know what, if the rest of the world knew that they've really got no choice and that they're handcuffed, uh, you know, you would really see things happen in a different way. Um, okay, how are they handcuffed, Jack? Because the dual mandate, ladies and gentlemen, is price stability number one, which means no serious deflation and no serious inflation. So are they meeting that one? The second is full employment. And that one seems to have been reached. So how are they in conflict? And by the way, I think we've got a third mandate coming in now, which is some sort of social equality or equanimity that needs to be achieved by Fed policy, which strikes me as totally ridiculous and an over-politicization of the Fed and a big overreach on behalf of politicians. Not that that comes as a surprise. Well, I think the, the way, and I think I agree with that, by the way, and I think a lot of it might depend on if we end up seeing Jay Powell reappointed to the Fed uh, as chairman, because quite frankly, if they start to make those adjustments and we start to see Lynn Brainerd uh, and company come in, we might see a shift, even though you know it might be subtle, but, but it might be there. Um, but when you're talking about right now, remember, you're still talking about a Fed that's saying that there are still uh, two, three million unemployed people out there, which is probably more than that. Uh, and and they're, they're not back into the system yet. They're, they're still looking for work. Um, the Fed has still got their foot on the gas pedal. Even though they're tapering, they are still buying on a monthly basis. People forget that. They have got to completely stop tapering. They are behind the curve right now, Michael. All right. And now and why I say that they're they're handcuffed, they, if they start to move too quickly and, and they should have moved six months ago, in my mind. All right. Yes. If they start to move too quickly, they're, they're going to choke off what is happening in the stock market. All right. And what's happening in the rest of the economy. If they don't move fast enough, all right, what you're going to end up with is is a real serious debasement of currency. Uh, it's more inflation. Uh, you know, you're, I mean, you know, that's really the tax uh, on people that that are that are making, say, less than two hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, an administration. It's a hugely regressive situation. This, this this does real harm to those who can least afford it. No question. Absolutely. Inflation does every time. Let me ask one more. OK, so Jim Urio agrees with you. Kenny Polcari agrees with you. Most of our forecast guests. Stephanie Link uh, at, at Hightower agrees with you and with me that the Fed is behind the curve. Paul Krugman wrote an article over the weekend that suggests that the Fed is getting ready, should be patient, that they're getting ready to make that overstep that they did in the 1940s when they came out of World War II, that this period most resembles that World War II recovery where we had supply chain issues, where those things passed through where we had people going back to work, the whole thing, and the Fed reacted too quickly and killed the economic recovery and put us into recession. Just give me your quick thoughts on that. I'd say he were right if we still had the type of inflation that we would have back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and even 70s. Uh, How is it different? Right. Well, one in seven people used to work for the automobile industry back then. When we were children, if you think about it, you had cost of living adjustments that were set up by the UAW and you had everybody around the entire automobile industry making more money and they would charge on a yearly basis more for automobiles. Now, one in five people works for technology. Technology is disinflationary. All right. It's changing that dynamic. So I guess the real question is, how patient do you want this Fed to be? How long can they keep money worthless? How long can you give the patient steroids without making that patient sick? It's, it's, it's that type of analogy I would probably throw out as an argument to what Dr. Krugman said. So, you know, there are certain things that are happening out there that are changing the face of the economy forever. 
All right. Whether it be leisure and hospitality, whether it be what we were talking about earlier with the way business travel is done, all of this is changing. This is not going to come back the way it was. All right. These are these are dynamic shifts that have taken place. And, you know, quite frankly, unless we understand with those dynamic shifts, there are some ancillary consequences. And we have to be prepared for those. And, and that's... you think about these things as an investor, Jack, because these are significant shifts. Yeah. Uh, these are big thematic shifts and successful investors typically try to get out for the long term mm -hmm. in front of these and at least uh, recognize them and know that they have to adapt the same way we have to adapt to technology. Yeah. We have to adapt as investors to these. How do investors do that? I think you have to look at the things that, that we were talking. We were talking about things three or four years ago. Uh, we were talking about the cloud. We were talking about yes. software systems. All of that came to fruition. Well, you know, that easy money, I think, is behind us as far as those companies are concerned. What ahead, in my mind, are people that are going to be fueling those companies. And what do I mean by that? Look, look at a company like Palantir, like, like Snowflake, people that are in data. Uh, data is going to be the oil that drives everything that's done in AI. Uh, you know, look for people that are figuring out ways to monetize data. You know, when you go to a, a company CFO and ask them what their data is worth on their books, they have no idea. Yet it could be worth it's it's an unlocked asset, Michael. All right. And that data And we're not it, talking goodwill. This no, is, no, this is it, a different category. This is a real asset. That's exactly right. And people don't understand what their data is. Unless you work at an exchange where we put that data feed out. But so so when that's all coming around, uh, people that are creating batteries, uh, you know, we're talking about rare earth elements, uh, you know, whether especially here in North America, there there is a what was an, an anti-China, you know, uh, strategy is becoming an anti-China, you know, law, basically here in the States, especially when you're sourcing rare earth elements. So there are there are companies, whether they be up in Canada, whether they be down in South America, that are specifically designed, there are a couple of out in California that are publicly traded, uh, that are specifically designed to go out there and mine these rare earth elements. Battery production from mine to magnet is going to be so very important, especially in the coming years, especially with the EV craze. Uh, you know, do I think that we're going to see, you know, runaway inflation? Well, no. Uh, and the reason is because of what I just described. Technology is a disinflationary pressure. You can't fight that. That's what happened for the last two decades. It's the supply shocks that have given us these inflationary pressures. But when you look at the curves, especially in the commodity markets, you notice that there is a lot of backwardation. All right. These things are cheaper yes. in a year from now than they Explain are Explain backwardation, would you please? Backwardation means that a, a barrel of oil right now in December of 2022 is trading for less than it's trading in the spot market today. Um, and that gives uh, that 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 if you would think about it as a curve, it's a, a downward sloping it's curve going as down. far as prices. It's backwardation the, is going down. The flip side to that is contango, where you start to see the prices going higher over the course of months. Now, and we're seeing a lot of backwardation in a lot of the commodity markets. And it's that, always bugged me, Jack, that they have such an artful, lovely word as contango to suggest things are going up. And the best that anybody could do for lower prices in the future is backwardation well, really I, contango and backward i mean you had to come up i mean we couldn't come up with a fandango or some damn thing and, oh jack okay so look i've got I've, I've only got a certain amount of time with you here this is so fascinating every time i talk to you it's fascinating i learned so much you said at the beginning because i want to bring this back you've talked to us about thematic trends that are fascinating uh, you've talked to us about structural trends in employment in this country 
You started by saying you were a reluctant, uh, fully invested uh, investor right now. What changes are you going to make in your portfolio here coming into year end? How, what changes have you been making? What are you, how are you positioning yourself? And how are you going to position yourself for the next five years? Fred and Ethel come and they are our, our year end forecasts like this. And we're starting now here at Thanksgiving are hugely well subscribed, largely because folks want to hear what Jack Perugian has to say. Well, Michael, you and I know that these are aberration years. Markets don't go up like this every year. No, they don't. You know? and, and people get used to that. They think that this is the norm. Oh, I'm going to make 20% a year, 30% a year. And, and I try to tell people to get their expectations lower. Um, as far as the rest of the year, I think a lot of it depends on what the Fed is going to do and how fast the Fed is going to act. If they start pulling in the reins quicker than, they're, than people expect them to, uh, then I'll probably pull back my reins quicker. I'll be a little bit more defensive in the way I approach the market. Um, you know, does that mean I'm going to be taking money off the table? Well, that also depends on tax policy that's going through, which we have to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, I mean, if it's going to make it very difficult for us to, to, to hold these things, uh, you know, and if there's going to be pressure on the market because of that, we've got to be aware of that, um, you know, uh, if, and it might cause a, a 10, 20% dip, in which case, you know, we can handle it. But, you know, you've got a lot of people out there that are making a lot of money for, and they don't understand why or how. And when that happens, you know, that, that always bothers me. It reminds yep. me of the late 90s. It reminds yes. me of times that were, you know, where, where, where I would get into a cab and the cab driver would say to me, oh, I own this stock, this stock, yes. and this stock. And, I've made, yes. and I used to think to myself, this, this is not right. Something is no. not right. Um, and, and so what I would say to the, to the average investor out there, the people that are listening is, this is the time to start getting very careful. The easy money, I believe, has been behind us. You know, one thing we learn in the commodity markets is that, you know, not, not every you know, surplus is followed by a shortage, but every shortage is followed by a surplus. That explains yes. the backwardation. That also explains why, you know, we've got to be very cognizant of, of how we come out of this, you know, because if, if, we, if we end up having deflation slap us in the face, then this Fed is stuck. We become 1990s Japan. And that is a worst case scenario, Michael, for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I remember well, that for everybody. Yeah, that's yeah. an awful that's an awful outcome. And that's that's really what you want to avoid. And that's really, unfortunately, where the Fed is looking. And that's their enemy. That's what keeps them up at night is, is the replay of 1990s Japan, uh, because they're doing a lot of the same mistakes, unfortunately, as the Bank of Japan did back then. And I was an officer at Nikko Securities. I remember right. exactly what they were doing. And that's why I keep saying to myself, you know, eventually they're going to have to land the 747 on an aircraft carrier. And I use that analogy a lot because I think it's, it's, it's impossible to do. But you know yes. what? There's that, there's that one in a thousand chance that they can do it. So, Jack, what are you going to own? What, what should Fred and Ethel make sure that they own for the next few years? And, and uh, uh, you've said you'd trim back on your portfolio. Where would you trim? Where do you add? And, and you said lower expectations, which I agree with. Get, give us a little more specific advice. You gave us some great advice in the past. Uh, you were going to own some cryptocurrency. You were going to own some uh, commodities, some other things. Those all worked out very well for you, Jack. What else should we do? Well, you know, one of the things that bothers me, though, is the fact that we don't see gold moving up. Uh, and that's, you know, because I, I own gold, too. I'll be well, honest. We picked, up, we picked up $100 an ounce here in the past month or so. Yeah, but that's nothing. You know that. It's been, I've been, I've been watching this. It's almost been like dead money. Uh, but uh, no, I think that what we have to 
to do is continue to look at these cutting edge technologies, um, look for things that are game changers. They are really game changers. There are certain things, bargains out there. I'm tired of looking at stocks that have got PEs that are ridiculous. Uh, and I'm tired of owning stocks that have got PEs that are ridiculous. And I think the time is going to start to come to rotate out of some of those and look for stocks that have got this opportunity to grow. And quite frankly, I'm at that age now. I'm 60 years old, Michael. All right. I'm starting to think, okay, what do I want as far as income goes over the course of these next few years? I have to start thinking like that. So, you know, uh, you know, for me, it's easy. I come from the markets. For somebody who doesn't come from the markets, it's not, it's a, na a natural thing to do. Uh, so they've got to talk to people. They've got to, you know, I mean, that's what you do. You know, you talk to people all day long and you give them that guidance. Uh, but I would say, depending on your age, if you're up there, you know, and, 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 and you're looking for income, you've got, you can't get speculative. You know, you've got to start pulling back. And the market, unfortunately, right now is speculative. There are, if you're in, if you're in Bitcoin, you're, you're experiencing serious volatility. It's the hardest thing in the world to hold. I mean, I've got a few, I, 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 I'm telling you right now, it's the hardest thing in the world. I have never held anything with this type of volatility. Okay. And That's I've traded, wild. you know, and well, I've but you can't explain it either, Jack. I mean, it's, it's inexplicable volatility. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it, to me, but you know what? I feel as if I've got to have something in there because of you, there's only 21 million of these things out there. And you know what, if people, are, if they're gonna go in that direction, it's, what can I do? I can't tell people that they're idiots, all right? That they're buying oh, NFTs. Oh, sure you can. Well, you know I what? I do it all the time. I, you know, I've got people, <laughs> people that wanna invest in NFTs and I'm like, why? You know what why? I mean? You know why? I, I don't get it. It's, so anyway, I, but then again, that's me. Then it goes back to my Merton Miller story. You know, then again, what the hell do I know? You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> But no. I, I like I, I like uh, I like this. But I think that our I've told this to I've said uh, to Uriel, what we need to do is start our own cyber currency here, Jack. Uh, <laughs> that's we should launch our own cyber currency. Uh, I mean, I like, uh, you know, uh, Ferugian, you know, we could which is a little name combination there. Ferugian <laughs> coin could be it could be hot, folks. It could be hot. Stay tuned for Ferugian coin. Uh, Jack Perugian, Chief Economist, Co-Founder, Director of Universal Compute Exchange, the India Compute Exchange, was a Director of the CME Group and has been a longtime uh, wise voice on Wall Street and a great friend at the Farcast. Jack, happy Thanksgiving and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Michael. You too. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another Farcast this week. We will not be back with you for Thanksgiving week, so maybe you can listen to this one twice. We will be back again. Uh, of course, in the following week and look forward to your notes, to your texts, to everything else. Please share us on your social media from Naples, Florida for the Farcast. And as the chief market strategist for Hightower Advisors, I'm Michael Farr. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again soon. Thanks for being with us on this week's edition of the Farcast. And thanks to Michael's guests, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Jack Perugian. We love hearing from you every week. We try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Parr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. 
the information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Bar Miller and Washington or Hightower Advisors, are not necessarily those of Bar Miller and Washington, Hightower Advisors, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. And have a great Thanksgiving. We'll be back with you in two weeks. Go beyond the headlines each week with the forecast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington, LLC is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representation or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements, errors, or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller and Washington LLC and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisor for related questions.